Time is now 12.31 and this is Paul McCartney with a light at the local. Uh, I think you've got the title wrong, Paul. Oh, light and local. <laughs> That's a bit better. Right. Yes, it is 12.31, it is light and local, and that was Paul McCartney. We'll be hearing more from him later in the programme. Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and today it's time for another bonus, bonus, bonus episode for all you lovely people out there on the interwebs. Every now and then, especially around the times I put out an episode late, <coughs> I do like to throw you an extra episode that was not previously set up in the schedule as a way to say thank you to you listeners, the downloaders, the patrons, for putting up with my bullshit. This is just a little gift from me to you, a token gesture, a thank you, a little something that I can whip up in an hour whilst I've been left with some free time. And with this spare hour or two, I felt like going back to what was easily the most controversial post on the blog that I've ever uploaded. No bollocks, this really did get me into quite a bit of aggro back when I wrote it. And now that the dust has settled somewhat, I thought it would be funny to go back and do a bit of a post-mortem, an update and a podcastical remake of the Paul or Nothing article. The top 20 cheesiest Paul McCartney rhyming couplets revisited. Before we begin, of course, contact us via email. Whether you have anything to say about the show, whether you have your own Paul McCartney story, whether you've met the man himself, or maybe you just want to say hello, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. If you want to help keep the lights running, help keep the show free, you can help support us on our Patreon. You probably heard our Glastonbury 2004 episode recently. Matt, who is my wonderful guest on that show, was our first patron supporter, and now... You can have that chance as well, and I'm a kind god. I will gladly bring you on the show as well to show my thanks. Check out the blog. Obviously, this episode today came from the blog, which is www.pormacarnipod.wordpress.com. You can find all of our latest articles up there right now. I'll be adding an article very soon, actually, where I'll be going through my entire Paul McCartney vinyl collection, which is possibly one of the most self-indulgent articles I've ever done, but hey... That's just this whole podcast. Anyway, find us on Facebook and YouTube simply by, by typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. You can find all of our episodes on YouTube for free. If you've got five minutes, please leave us a five-star iTunes review. It helps push us up in the rankings, gives us a little bit more exposure, more listeners. And finally, if you want to have a more intimate contact with me, join us on the Twitter, which is simply at McCartneyPod. It's the central hub for the show, and it's the best place to keep up to date. Whew. Now we've gotten that out of the way, let's carry on. Originally, this was going to be one of those kind of straight-to-DVD type blog posts where it's a blog post only, f- you know, for a cursory fortnight become, you know, before becoming a straight-up episode. But after the combative nature surrounding this conversation, even I thought it may be best to hold it back in the schedule, as it were. This made this article slash blog post slash episode the perfect kind of back burner one to pull out at a moment's notice with only a few modifications. So that's what today is. Essentially, this will be a post-mortem, a revisit, a do-over, a redo, a second stab at the top 20 cheeses Paul McCartney rhyming couplets. I'm going to go over the uh, quote-unquote history, shall we call it, of this article. And then, like I said, with a few modifications, I'll give you the proper article in true podcast form. I first started writing the article that this episode is based off all the way back in the earliest days of this podcast. I can remember the moment clear as day. I was doing some of my door-to-door charity fundraising, a terrible career move admittedly, in Solihull, and my best buddy slash ex 
co-podcast host Tom Quee rang me up and started ranting and raving about some particularly enraging lyricism that he had to put up with. Obviously he was doing the research for McCartney too well in advance and when he started to list all of the examples of things that Macca was doing in his writing, that was very very bad, I recognised exactly what he was talking about and best of all, for me that is, it wasn't rare either. Macca has written hundreds of songs and he will be the first to admit that they are not as all as good as each other and many of the tracks rest on a tried and tested formula, quick tricks and easy rhymes, and I thought these would make for a fun article as I hadn't seen it be done anywhere else before. And hey, in 2018, if you can do something that's actually quite unique, fucking good on ya. Yes, once again, big shout out to Tom Quee, for whom I wouldn't be podcasting at all if he wasn't here, but who, during the same phone call, also advised that I used temporary secretary for the theme tune of the show, and history was made then and there. This wasn't his idea, but he did inspire it, and since I also quote-unquote borrowed his Who Wants to Be a Millionaire episode from his own show, Alpha Metallica, check that out, I do owe him some sort of credit. But yeah, back to the controversy. I wrote the article, had a lot of fun doing so, In fact, I actually had it written and uploaded to the blog in record time. And then all I had to do was wait. Of course, this was earlier in the blog's existence, so I was a little greener in my expectations. But I thought it was pretty funny and reasonably well written. And to my pleasant surprise, rather like the top 12 songs that prove Linda McCartney doesn't suck article, the post seemed to have struck a chord with, with readers and the views just started to roll in in record speed. This, of course, for such a fledgling blog slash podcast was always very encouraging. And with a certain number of views comes a certain minimum number of comments as well. It's a, it's a very simple. However, what happened next was very disproportionate indeed. I was expecting maybe five to ten comments tops. Jesus Christ, though, how fucking wrong I was. Across all the Facebook groups that I spam, the Reddit posts that I post, and, you know, the blog itself, there were hundreds, I mean, literally hundreds of impassioned McCartney and Beatles fans leaving their comments after having a read of the article. Well, for the purposes of this rant, I will at least concede that most of the people who read it didn't comment, and at least, you know, two-thirds of the comments were actually quite nice, or at least neutral. But... This article, this episode, is based on the, the, the ones that did. And I will also concede that at least a third to a half of the comments were also very encouraging and very nice. And maybe there were even a few neutral ones in there as well. But I must also suggest that maybe some of the people who commented may not have in fact read any of the fucker at all. I am more than well aware that when you mention anything with any negative connotation surrounding the Beatles, that you are playing with fire. Do do do. I get that people take this very, very seriously indeed, because in many ways, I take it equally as seriously. But I'm also a bit of a shit-stirrer, a bit of a ball-breaker, I like to cause a little bit of mischief, and when coupled with a genuine desire to highlight some of the worst aspects of Paulie's writing style, I knew that I I would have to play it safe and lay my cards down on the table right from the start so that people didn't think I was coming in just to piss on the parade. So, with this in mind, I had the following statement at the very start of my article. Well, not not the very start, but you know what I mean. I don't have to... I have to quote myself here, so I don't even know what voice I'm going to do. I don't have to prove to you that I love Paul McCartney, and I would never intentionally knock him down and spread a genuine sense of hate. This is just a fun little dig at some of Paul's lamest, laziest, most trite, for the sake of it, rhyming couplets in his songwriting. When you write over 500 songs, it's inevitable that not every lyric is going to be a home run, and I'm sure Paul is more than aware that some of his words are not exactly Geoffrey Chaucer. 
Now, to a guy like me, that seems like more than enough health insurance against claims of me simply being a hater, but apparently not, as the negativity slowly started to pour in. Molasses-like. Being a relatively green solo podcaster and content creator that I was, and still am really, this was a very new experience for me as I was a little unsure of how to take and what to do and what to make of such criticism when faced with it for the first time. But this, I would, before this, I would have said, yeah, I'll handle criticism fantastically and that I'll be able to deal with all critical advice in a very mature manner. But that's not what happened, is it? At all. Because no one told me that you are supposed to ignore the trolls. Not that I'm saying that all of my critics were trolls in any way. Some of them had very valid criticism, I'm sure. But the idea is but the idea is, is that you don't respond to negative criticism in a combative or defensive manner, else you look like a cunt. And look like a cunt I did. And in that moment, to say that I was a teensy-weensy, little bit cunty, combative and defensive is a slight understatement. The whole fracas quickly descended into me, very childishly trying to defend my article and my blog, from what I perceived to be Visigoths, Vandals and Huns coming over the hill ready to plunder. Like I said, I'm going to read you some of the best complaints now that were hurled against the article against me, each one tearing a mortal wound into my side, each deeper and more personal than the last. Etu Brute! And hopefully you will see by the end just how I may have gotten a little bit worked up by some of the things said. Without any further... Without any further delay, let us begin, shall we? The comments! Mike G. Beach typed, In case I miss the name, who wrote this utter, utter rubbish? Either the person is an idiot or just wanted his or her name in print. Total bullshit! Now, that one I do find slightly perplexing purely because I did personally post all of the stuff online and my name is on the article as well, so I don't know how he didn't know who my name was. I can take the total bullshit thing, but the fact that he doesn't know who I am is actually quite offensive. Philip Dobbins simply wrote, Why are y'all taking cheap shots at Paul? Jealous? Uh, okay, I, I can tell you right, right, right now that yes, of course I'm jealous of Paul McCartney's career. How could you not be jealous of the most successful songwriting talent of all time, you fucking idiot? But no, I'm not taking cheap shots at him because I'm jealous. I'm taking cheap shots at him because he's a bit shit from time to time. Sorry, Philip Dobbins. Jeff Lynch, not Jeff Lynn from ELO. Jeff Lynch wrote, When you can write when you can write as many number one songs as Paul has over fifty years, then you can criticize. Oh okay, so since I've never led a Nazi government, I can't judge Hitler. Since I've never wielded the Infinity Gauntlet, I can't judge Thanos. Fucking stupid twat. Frank Ames, he wrote, You can't take anything away from him. With your lack of talent, write something someone would actually give a shit about, and then we'll talk. So, any of you who have given a shit about anything I've written about, please write in to paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Richard Lampese, or Lampese, said... Read the blog. Aside from the fact that lyrics Paul wrote are playful and not intended to be serious poetry, they're simply not as bad as you present them as being. I expected to be genuinely amused, but alas, only to find a blog that is a complete waste of time in my opinion. Um, I actually can't have too much of a go at that one. That does just seem to be based on personal opinion. If you didn't find it funny, if you didn't find my criticism valid, then I can only apologise. Hopefully you'll like the next article I do. Maybe I haven't put you off completely. Sometimes the blog can range from genuine criticism to me just trolling my, my audience because, hey, I've got to have some fun as well. Mary Grace Davis wrote, Sam Lame. 
Too bad I didn't make it rhyme. She's trying to rhyme like same and lame or Sam and lamb, I think there. This is the second of your quote-unquote articles I wasted my time whilst reading. I'm happy to say this was my last one. Best of luck to you with future writings. I hope they can be more positive and uplifting instead of trying to pick apart fellow human beings and their work. Because you can never criticise anyone, can you? Because obviously Paul McCartney is a god, he's a deity, he is without fault, he is beyond criticism, and people aren't allowed to not like all of his work. Seriously, these are what this is what Jeffrey Giuliano would call a beatard. Retards who like the Beatles a little bit too much. Look, folks, I'm sorry. This podcast, this blog, as I've said, as I've bored you to death with, this is not a hagiography. This is my genuine opinions on the music of Paul McCartney. And I'm sorry, folks, whilst I love the man to the moon and back and I would die for him so that he could perform another concert, he's not perfect. Carter Wellington wrote, With all the awful grammar and language in music nowadays, you're pissing on the greatest band in history. Well, I only did a couple of Beatles songs in that one, and there was a couple of Wings ones as well. So I'm not sure to which he's referring as to the greatest band in history, but what, am I not allowed to take a piss on the greatest band in history? Why not? If R. Kelly can piss on his fans, then I can piss on my idols. It's fair game. So yeah, that vitriol, sim- so yeah, that kind of mindless vitriol was started simply from me poking fun at the rhyming schemes and lyricism of Paul McCartney, a man who has never been described as the world's best lyricist, but okay. Like, aside from the fact that it bothered me enough for me to be able to remember it enough for me to eventually consider it to be worthy for some airtime, I really am over it. A lot more of the valid complaints would simply not have been funny and have been left off. A lot of people simply just said things like they didn't like my writing style or the fact that I clearly hadn't proofread a lot of the article. My ex used to do a lot of the proofreading for me, so hopefully I'll... So I've had to pick up the mantle in that respect. You might say that this is one of those It's not what you said, but the way you said it with a lot of the comments. But But then again, I also think a lot of what they said was actually bullshit. Like, I know now not to fuck with Beatles stuff in anything other than the most positive, wanky offy of lights now. People clearly take this stuff a little bit far too seriously, to the point whereby it starts to become less of a fandom and more of a cult of personality or political party where the leader can do no wrong. Look, I know we're all different. I know we all have unique opinions that are influenced by our impossibly unique and separate life experiences. Hashtag Sonder. But there is a point in which I have to stop being the bigger man. The thing is, with Beatles stuff especially, there is this glut of sycophantic, mindless, sheep-minded fanatics who see any criticism of their deity as an attack on themselves. For some, it's an identity thing, you know? They probably aren't very interesting people. And all they have that defines them as know, to who they are, is shown through the prism of the Beatles. And the Beatles aren't perfect. And if the Beatles aren't perfect paragons of virtue, well then their whole lifestyle paradigm collapses. Then you have the obsessives, the one who feels like they have an actual connection with the Beatles, and that any attack on the Beatles is like they are attacking family, and they go in, in into this full-on defence mode. There's the ignorant, who simply just don't like being challenged. You have the nostalgic, aka old fuckers, who simply can't accept that large swathes of their musical heritage is now considered to be meaningless crap. I accepted that the Lost World Jurassic Park was bad. You two can do the same. And finally, you have the batshit crazy, cuckoo heads, loonies, crackheads, winos, weirdos, psychotics, and the plain old mentally deficient. 
You know the ones I'm on about. These oddball shut-ins who are probably living with some sort of family or state service who write to Paul on Twitter daily to see if he responds or requesting that he performs at their town or telling him that they loved him in 64 or even worse, writing to my Twitter thinking that I'm fucking Paul McCartney as if Paul McCartney would ever fucking respond to some random twat on his Twitter. Anyway, rant over. I know, I know, I get it. The article wasn't perfect, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. Maybe this episode can be a bit of a redemption somewhat. And I get that I'm focusing on what is more likely than not a minority within a minority within a minority of people who interacted with the article. But I am an egomaniac and I am emotionally fragile to my core. So I will apologise for spending half of this episode indulging in my own wounded pride via an extensive post-mortem of the whole affair. I mean, are we supposed to be talking about some Paul McCartney rhyme schemes and lyricism already? I think we are. And, you know what, fuck it. I think it's about high time we went and took a look at what all the fuss was about. Actually, you know what? This whole episode is about do-overs and second chances. So, let's do this properly then. Hit it, Johnny! Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to another super duper special bonus episode of Paul or Nothing. It's a place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am your host, Sam Wiles, and it really is a bonus episode. Bonus for you in the sense that it was never meant to be part of the set schedule, and bonus for me as the majority of this episode came straight out of the blog pre-written. Look, Paul is without a doubt the most successful songwriter of all time. But apart from the obvious standouts like Eleanor Rigby, Yesterday and Maybe I'm Amazed, he really isn't going to go down as the world's best lyricist, <coughs> Tom Waits. <coughs> and that is not meant to come across as an insult. As a composer, arranger, bass player, mel and melody maker, Paul is pretty much unsurpassed and unmatched. But writing catchy hooks, inventive harmonies, and classic rhythms that will follow you into your dreamscapes does not mean that the lyrics associated with said songs match the same quality. Now, the thing that bugs me in his songwriting is not bad lyrics themselves. No, it's his insistence on making things rhyme for the sake of fucking rhyming within an internal logic of the song. What's worse is how much of a poet and fan of poetry that I know Paul is. So he knows that he so he knows that these things don't have to rhyme or make sense, but Christ does he strain and force some of these in. I'm not saying that any of the songs featured on this list today are bad in any way just because of the occasional bad lyric. On the contrary, Paul is the master of throwing down a few words into a fantastic riff and making it work. See OU from McCartney 1. So, what this podcast today is here to plainfully point out are the times where Paul really probably should have gone back to the drawing board. Here goes nothing. Like a castle needs a tower. Like a garden needs a flower. Like a second needs an hour. Like a raindrop needs a shower. That was from Waterfalls featured on McCartney 2 in 1980. Now, this is the very lyric that caused the good friend of the show, Mr. Tom Queen, to become so incensed in the first place that he had to ring me to vent. I understand his frustrations back then. I understand them even more now. And we both had fun tearing this song a new arsehole when he came on to review McCartney 2. A song written for purpose in the most constraining way possible. Waterfalls shows us some of Paul's most overtly wet drip and soppy lyricism to date. Yes, we know this guy likes to rhyme all the time. See what I did there? But the sheer number of phrases that rhyme with tower 
seems like a forced list of rhyming schemes that one must adhere to than anything close to natural or expressive songwriting. Oh, honey pie, my position is tragic. Come and show me the magic of your Hollywood song. That's from Honey Pie, featured on the White Album in 1968. Oh, you didn't think Paul's days in the Beatles were beyond reproach, did you people? Oh, yes! Paul stinted his quote-unquote first band, has some of his most irksome writing clutches that will appear right up to the present day. Honey Pie is the epitome of Paul's sudden infatuation with granny songs during this period, and whilst he's working within the restrictions of the writing conventions of Tin Pan Alley, or at least his own interpretation of it, this one has continually bugged me since my early teens as to how patently obvious the rhyming is. Ain't too many other words that rhyme with tragic and magic, are there Paul, eh? Eh? I know I was a crazy fool for treating you the way I did, but something took a hold of me and I acted like a dustbin lid. That's from The Other Me, featured on Pipes of Peace in 1983. That hilarious entry comes from The Other Me, and to say that this is an infamously popular track to bash on internet forums is an understatement. And yet, it's plonked right at the start of the song, so that it's still kind of surprisingly enjoyable. Like I say, that hilarious entry comes from one of the very first tracks on Pipes of Peace. And to say that this is an infamously popular track to bash on internet forums is an understatement. And yet, this offensive lyric is plonked right at the start of the song. And it's still surprisingly enjoyable, acting almost as a rite of passage for new listeners. Once you've moved past the dustbin lid line, you can start enjoying the rest of it. I mean, wow, Paul, what a titanically scaled clunker. Like, it really makes you question Paul's own judgement in writing his own songs. But then again, this is also the man who wrote the next lyrics, so anything is possible. Like gravy, down to the last drop, I keep mopping her up, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's my baby. That's from She's My Baby from Wings at the Speed of Sound, 1976. And that comes directly from Wings at the Speed of Sound's generic album filler track. Now, I know Paul is a multimillionaire who by 1976 is probably losing his connection with regular folk and how they really speak to one another, but in what universe would your lover, your baby, be happy in being compared to Gravy, which is described as thus by Google? A sauce made from mixing the fat and juices exuded by meat during the cooking process with stock and other ingredients. Classy Paul, real classy. Especially when he and Linda were supposed to be vegetarian at the time. Holy shit, if Linda McCartney did a gravy range, I would be all over that shit. The couplet of gravy with baby and mop with drop is a clear smoking gun that Paul had written himself into a hole and had no intention of digging himself out of it. Instead, he stubbornly stuck with the infamous gravy line to make us cringe for years to come. Ooh, baby, you wouldn't have found a more down hero if you'd have started at nothing and counted to zero. That's from Arrow Through Me, featured on Back to the Egg in 1979. To me, this song is one of the most crystal clear images of my mind where Paul is tapping his lip with a pencil going, hmm, so, uh, hmm, hmm, what rhymes with hero? Like, I am more than prepared for the fact that he, again, wrote himself into a corner with this one. But there just seems to be so little effort in trying to write himself out of these holes. Hero and Zero? Come on, Paul. You know that they were going to rhyme. You gave me the answer to love eternally. I love you and you, you seem to like me. And that's from You Gave Me The Answer, featured on Venus and Mars in 1974. 
Yet again, we have another McCartney track whereby the idea is that he's writing a song from the 1920s to fit that Tin Pan Alley aesthetic. And again, it's so constrictive and it does just obviously detract from the lyricism. Songs from that time were corny and cheesy, but that doesn't mean it excuses Paul from writing something with a little more clout. Look, just because something is meant to be twee doesn't mean that you have to accept it. I mean, look at English tea and that rhyming scheme, and you'll see what I mean. It's equally as trite, but at least it's self-aware and a little bit funny. Don't you know that inside, there's a love you can't hide. So why do you fight that feeling in your heart? That's from Lazy Dynamite, featured on the Red Rose Speedway medley on Red Rose Speedway in 1973. The first... And certainly not the last song from Red Rose Speedway, nor the, the medley. We all know that this song was written in one hell of a rush, probably on the back of a napkin or Mars bar wrapper or something. But wow, he really doesn't try to hide that fact here, does he? Oh baby, don't you let me down tomorrow. Holding hands, we both abandon sorrow. That's from Tomorrow, featured on Wildlife in 1972. This one makes the list as it's just such a fine example of the audience being able to, with 100% accuracy, guess what rhyming words Paul will use to piece the song together. Now, later on, the song he rhymes Tomorrow with Beg and Steal and Borrow, which actually sounds much better in my opinion and felt like it fit the narrative of the song much more naturally. But Tomorrow and Sorrow, ugh, give me a break. Say you don't love him, my salamander. Why do you need him? Oh no, don't answer. That's from Getting Closer, featured on Back to the Egg in 1979. What a way to start off an album, Paul. We all know that you, the old Macca, has a love of silly and nonsensical lyrics, but who wants to be someone's salamander? Maybe the same person who wants to be someone else's gravy bread. Yes, this could be a specific nickname that would make no sense unless you were in that relationship. Oh, come here, my little salamander. I can't help but feel that he's pushing us further and further to the point of irritation with this song. We also all know that Paul uses kind of placeholder standby lyrics from when writing a song. But here, it feels like a clear-cut case of him not being bothered to swap out the placeholders for actual lyrics at all. Well, the night was beautiful and mellow, mellow, and the light of the night fell on me. You said right, made me a happy fellow, fellow. That was from When the Night, featured on Red Rose Speedway, 1973. Whilst working on the podcast, I distinctly remember just finishing my original notes for tomorrow, and then minutes later, hearing Paul say the word mellow. And I'm just sat there, praying, listening to this song, begging that he doesn't rhyme it with fellow. And then my heart just sank as he played directly into my low standard expectations. Side by side on my piano keyboard, oh lord, why don't we? That was taken from Ebony and Ivory, featured on Tug of War in 1982. Any remotely negative list of any of Paul McCartney's music is bound to contain this much reviled collaboration with Stevie Wonder. I almost couldn't resist. The thing that bugged me most about this line in particular is that it actually doesn't make sense. White and black keys placed next to each other on a keyboard don't actually harmonise Paul. Whoops! Though they do work whether they do work well together when played in a chord. And the fact that he could have addressed this and simply have and simply have had the word chord rhyme with keyboard feels like a massive missed opportunity. Black, white, green, red, can I take my friend to bed? That's from All Together Now, featured on Yellow Submarine, 1968. This one has always been more of a pet peeve for me than anything. Following the logical progression found in the first verse, aka 1, 2, 3, 4, can I have a little more, which is 
which in the childish, simple nature of the song fits quite well. This is then followed by some obvious on-the-spot rhyming. Can I take my friend to bed? It seems woefully out of place unless it's meant to be some kind of subversive statement or something. You're my baby and I love you. You can take a pound of love and cook it in the stew. That's from Spirits of Ancient Egypt, taken from Venus and Mars in 1975. Now, I already hear a bunch of you saying, but that's a Denny Lane song. Well, firstly, I must respond by saying that he and Paul share a songwriting credit on this track. And to think that All Wings lyrics don't have to be pre-approved by Paul would simply be naive. Paul undoubtedly must shoulder some of the blame for this clunker. Whoa, she looks like snow. I want to put her on a Broadway show. That's from Letting Go. Featured on Venus and Mars again in 1975. Those stage lights on Broadway are actually pretty, you know, warm, Paul. Are you sure that you want someone who reminds you of snow to stand underneath them? Under that kind of heat? Look, no one ever thinks when they look at their partner that they would want to have them on Broadway. But saying he wants to have them in a movie or a catwalk. But, you know, saying that he wanted to have them in the film. But saying he wanted to have them on TV, in movies or on the catwalk simply wouldn't, simply wouldn't have rhymed. Now, would it? You won't be going out tonight, candlelight, make love to me and make it right. That's taken from Hold Me Tight, the Red Rose Speedway medley on Red Rose Speedway 1973. Oh, the poor old Red Rose Speedway medley. You really are taking a beating today, aren't you? And for fucking good reason, this is the album that is most widely associated with Paul smoking far too much weed for his own good. So when you combine that with bashing out a medley to end an album in a single cigarette break, it just comes across as painfully lazy and underdeveloped. I am the Backwards Traveller, Ancient Wool Unraveller. That's taken from the Backwards Traveller from London Town in 1978. Right, folks, here's a little bit of a peeling back of the curtain moment, and I probably shouldn't even divulge this, but writing articles is hard and sometimes a little bit time-consuming. And fortunately for me, those really short, punchy, humorous one-sentence summaries are also a great excuse to not have to come up with yet another three paragraphs worth of insightful prose. You can't do it twice in one article, and you can barely get away with it once in a podcast. But it means I get to satisfy two of my major urges at once. The desire to make people laugh, and the desire to go to bed on time. So, now that we have a Silmarillion level of backstory to this rhyming couplet review, the sentence I went for was, An unfinished song with an unfinished lyric that makes no sense. Enough said. And yeah, I really can't stand by that statement anymore, as I've now learned of the original track's length and the fact that the song did have much more lyrics in it at the beginning. And besides, my criticism barely had anything to do with the rhyme scheme anyway, and was almost solely focused on the content of the song itself. No wonder some people were a bit upset. So, I'll take another stab at the sentence instead. Second time's the charm, okay? The fact that the rock Pokemon Graveler had not yet been invented by Nintendo means it's painfully obvious to see the slim pickings of potential rhyming words with Traveler, making the use of Unraveler feel like Paul McCartney had to frantically scour a thesaurus to get a song off the ground. So admittedly, that is one large-ass single sentence, but a single sentence nonetheless. And it was also very nice to squeeze Pokemon into a joke during this Paul McCartney podcast. Ooh, ooh, what do you do? No one else can dance like you. So what's all the fuss? There ain't nobody that spies like us. That's from Spies Like Us, a non-album, a non-album single from 1985. I've truly can't remember anything about this song. I listened to it a few times a few months ago, maybe even like a year ago now, and with lyrics like this, I really do not intend to listen to it again anytime soon. Another widely hated McCartney song, Spies Like Us, feels far too much like a song for hire. 
with words that coincidentally rhyme rather than anything with any sense of heart or thought behind it. Sleeping on a pillow, weeping on a willow, leaping armadillo, yeah! That's from Big Barn Bed, featured on Red Rose Speedway in 1973. Big Barn Bed is easily one of my favourite songs from Red Rose Speedway, and to this day it's still one of the best opening tracks from the Wings discography. Now, for a song that was spawned from the Ram recording sessions, to be sullied by this completely throwaway series of mindless babblings really does the song a disservice, really. And it's a clear indicator of the different writing styles between the two albums. Note that there are no songs from Ram on this list. Just saying. The pound is sinking, the peso's falling, the lira's reeling, and feeling quite appalling. That's from The Pound is Sinking, taken from Tug of War in 1982. Aside from the fact that quite is just a generically weak word to use in any songwriting, again, this just feels like Paul is sat hunched over his writing desk, straining to find the words that are going to fit into this pattern. A song where Paul talks about the economics of the world should be really intriguing, but ultimately, it's lines like this that can somewhat detract from the resonance and meaning that this song so obviously has. There was a girl who loved a biker. She used to follow him across America, but the biker didn't like her. As mentioned on our London Town episode of the podcast, which featured our wonderful guest Morris Bozinski, he pointed out that the songs on the B-sides from Off The Ground were actually better than the album. And with lyrics like this, I'm becoming increasingly more inclined to agree with him. Now, before we wrap things up, we have the only major digression from the original programming today, as I thought it would be best to add some of the kind, helpful, lyrical suggestions that you, the folk out there in the community, threw my way. Some of these I hadn't even heard of, some I hadn't recognised or even considered. But with all of them, I can see how someone could be swiftly be irked by the rhyming schemes and lyrics presented in these last four bonus entries. My love don't give me presents. I know that she's no peasant. That's from She's a Woman, which was a non-album single in 1964. This first bonus entry from very on in Paul's Beatles career was by far the most mentioned lyric that people said should have appeared on this list, with people on almost every Facebook group and page quizzing me as to why I did not include it. And the reason now is the same as the reason back then, really. Quite frankly, I rather like the dorky rhyming of presence and peasant, even if it doesn't quite work. And McCartney's performance and the voice are just so fucking good that I probably had barely any time to notice the questionable lyricism at all. But yeah, again, upon reflection, it's hard not, not to picture Paul just tapping that chin with his pencil, trying to find a rhyme for this great present opening line that he knows is going to be so good that the second can take a hit. Darling, I love you very, very, very much, and I am relying on your touch. For those of you who have been listening to this podcast regularly by now, you will know that I am in one way or another less enthused to have to review Press to Play in any way, shape or form. So it should be no surprise that my f- that my familiarity with the lyrics, even from one of the lead songs, are extremely limited. Mostly for the fact that I'm still ages away from actually reviewing it. Thankfully, what Paul does here is put a massive target on his own back by drawing attention to said rhyming scheme. Much and touch. He just he just makes it so much more obvious than normal. And don't even get me started on the fact that he says very, very, very much. Are you sure this wasn't written on the back of a textbook when he was 14 back in his school days or something? Uh, that's not really fair, actually, because in those days, in all fairness, he did actually write better stuff. Mr. H. Atom lives in a flat on the male side of town. This one I've become more and more wearisome of in recent months, especially with reviewing McCartney 2 and all. And, you know, when, at the time of writing, I was really unaware of the song at all. 
And even if I had been, I could have made a point about how this is one of the few instances of a cheesy, naftastic rhyming scheme on the part of McCartney where the rhyme is self-contained within the same line. And trust me, this would have made the cut pretty bad. Alas, this sadly meant that The Pound Is Sinking, a song in recent times I've actually become very fond of, which I've... But I was more familiar, but I was more familiar with at the time, was forced to take this song spot on this list. And last but not least, we have and in this ever-changing world in which we live in, and that's taken from Live and Let Die, an album single from 1972. The user who left this comment was insistent that the majority of the anger was spawned from the fact that this lyric wasn't merely any old lazy rhyming scheme or the fact that the whole idea is basically one big ungrammatical repetition, but instead it takes it to a whole step further by rhyming in with in. Like, like that really is some indivisible rhyming there, Paul. I'm really not sure if you can physically get much lazier than that. So it makes a much better lyric to end the show on, I guess. So there we have it, folks. That was my second go at this list of the 20 most trite, most annoying, most enragingly obvious attempts by Macca at forcing his rhyme scheme agenda down our throats. It wasn't as bad as I remembered. I had to change very little from the original article to get it ready for today. And and to go back to my ego one last time, I really didn't think that there was any content in that episode worth getting upset over. Y- you know, you, you accept that, that, you know, except for that bit where I essentially mocked mentally ill people. But anyway, besides that, Were there any rhyming couplets, any regular bad examples of lyricism, or just some wording that really pissed you off in general that I've missed? Did I pick any lyrics that angered or enraged you? Did I piss you off? Were you one of the original people that I pissed off? If so, if you have anything to say about Paul, about me, about the show, or anything featured on today's episode, drop me an email at paulmccoddypod at gmail.com. Let me know which lyrics rub you the wrong way, and I'll read it out next time. And there we have it. A little bit of bonus content for you lovely people out there. You know, from me to you. Thank you all very much for downloading and listening. You are all the lifeblood of this show, like I always say, and I'm always eternally grateful for any and all levels of support for the show. Starting with simply downloading the episodes, right the way up to people like Matt, whom we had on last week, who supports us on Patreon. I love you all. I'm sure Daniel is already playing us out. And stick around as we will shortly have some more. Have a great day. Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love.